Good morning. Um, man, what an amazing thing to declare those glorious truths. Do we really believe what we sing so often? If we are followers of Jesus Christ, we are sons and, and we are daughters, and that's what he calls us, and it will never veer far from the Father's heart. What beautiful truths to declare. I trust we are growing to believe them. We are um, in a study through the book of Ephesians, and what we're actually doing in this study is asking the question, what is most true about us. What is most true about us? Because as we've seen in the previous weeks, what we believe to be most true about us has the power to determine our disposition, our decisions, our direction, and in so many ways, our life destination. What is most true about us? Because what we believe to be true matters. I don't know if you knew this, but listen, the emotional patterns in which you live, the relational cycles you move in and out of, your struggles, your addictions, your priorities, your media choices, are all tied back to what you believe to be most true about you. So PSA, if you don't like where you are and you don't like how you behave and you don't like these cycles and patterns in which you find yourself, go back to the source of what you believe to be most true about you because what you believe to be most true about you will determine your disposition, your decisions, your direction, and in so many ways where you end up, destination of your life. And as a church, we want to live fully. As a church, we want to be fully alive. And we realize that if that's going to happen, then we've got to believe the truest truths about us. And so the real question as we journey through this book is really what does God say is most true about us? What does God see and say about us when he looks at us as believers, those who have put our faith in Jesus Christ? Because whatever God says to be true, that's what we want to learn to believe more and more. Those are the realities we want to have determine our dispositions, our decisions, our directions, and in so many ways, our life destination. And so last week we started this process of seeing what God says to be true about us by discovering an astonishing truth. And that's that if, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, here's what's most true about you. The truth we saw last week is that God has given us a surplus supply of everything our souls could possibly need. 
Uh, If you have your Bibles, you might as well just jump to Ephesians chapter 1. But look at the way Paul says, describes that truth in verse 3. We'll have this up on the screens while you're turning there. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, has blessed us, it's been done, In the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing, with every soul supply in Christ Jesus. Everything your soul is craving and chasing after. Everything you deeply long for. Paul says, "Um, it's already yours if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. What an astonishing truth. How, by the way, have you done believing that? more and more this past week. It will transform the way you live. All of a sudden, you don't have to go chasing after people and chasing after things that never will ultimately satisfy when you realize, oh my goodness, I already have everything my soul could possibly need. This supply stored in heavenly places for me. But Paul knows uh, every spiritual supply, every spiritual blessing is a little much for us to wrap the arms of our mind around. It can be a tad overwhelming. And so when he gets to verse 4, as we'll see here in a little bit, he gets more specific. And what we're going to see today is almost this picture of Paul running into the storehouse, the spiritual supply room in heaven, and saying, you have every spiritual supply. I know that's hard to get a hold of, so let me stop bringing some samples in this show-and-tell episode of the book of Ephesians. Let's be specific. Check this out. For instance, and Paul begins... To reveal and unveil these to us. You have everything your soul will ever need to be fully alive and to live fully. Here, let me show you. And look at what he says as he starts to get specific in verse 4. We're going to read verses 4 through 6 and spend some time talking about these verses. Look at what he says. He says, for he, verse 4, God chose us in him, in him being Jesus, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Paul runs into the spiritual storehouse and the first thing he brings out is this massive vat with this label on it that says chosen. The first thing he wants us to grab a hold of in terms of our spiritual blessings, the things God says is true about us, is this idea that God chose us. God chose us chosen such a powerful word chosen um i was doing a little bit of research um reading uh, about um 
the idea of rejection. And uh, I found some fascinating things as I read about this. Uh, Something I was reading was a social experiment that was done with a number of groups of people. Um, Two in particular were just staggering to me. So in the first one, they had a group of people who they told, hey, uh, you are going to experience rejection from certain people, and you're going to experience acceptance from other people. Do you understand? Yes, we understand. Here's the deal, though. We are going to pay you every time you experience rejection, and we won't pay you every time you experience acceptance. You understand this? We understand. Do you know the fascinating result of that? That knowing they were going to be paid and being paid for experiencing rejection had no bearing on how much it stung to be rejected. Interesting. They did another study on a group, fascinating. Um, they told a group of African American students. Hey, there's a group over there that doesn't like you, and they want nothing to do with you. And they found out that hearing that hurt these students to some degree. A little bit later on, they came to offer some relief by saying, hey, but don't worry about it. The group of people who rejected you, the group of people who wants nothing to do with you, is actually a group of KKK members. Do you know what they found out? For the African-American students hearing that the people who rejected them were people who were supposed to reject them, they were part of a white supremacist group, did nothing to lessen the sting of being rejected. Fascinating study. And it seemed that what this research unearthed is something that we already know we so deeply, one of our deepest longings in the soul is to be accepted. It's to be wanted. It's to be chosen. And even if you are paid a great amount of money, and even if you're told the people who reject you are just losers anyway, it has no bearing on the sting on the soul because we so deeply long for acceptance. And as this research continued to unveil the results, it became clear That as people experience rejection after rejection after rejection, it eventually runs the risk of convincing them of the lie that they are unwantable. And I don't know if you knew this, but what you believe to be most true about you has profound bearing on your disposition, your decisions, your direction, and in many ways, your destination. And people who started to believe that they must be rejectable, they must be unwantable, start to spiral into desperate places of destructive patterns. But we knew that. We long for acceptance. We long to be wanted. We long to be chosen. And to feel over and over again that we don't causes us to often believe the lie that we must be unwantable. And when you believe that, it will mess with your world. Uh, That is why... By the way, um, you know, some of us are compliment-proof. 
Nobody can successfully pay you a compliment. You will just absolutely decimate that. No, it's not. Please, please. Come on, girl. Come on, me. This old thing, that's ridiculous. Come on, you're just saying that. You couldn't possibly mean that. We can't accept a compliment without deflecting it and curling up and avoiding it in some way or another because we have maybe grown to believe the lie that we must be unwantable, rejectable. So surely you couldn't mean anything nice you say about me. Uh, That's why uh, some of us experience this insecurity that often sabotages our relationships because we are convinced I'm kind of nothing here. I'm kind of rejectable. And uh, so I'm constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop. And so my posture, my disposition in relationships is, mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm, you say you're my friend now, but for how long? How long are you going to stick around? You're probably going to leave like everybody else. You're just waiting to find something out about me. And when you find that thing out about me, you're going to leave. And we actually end up pushing people away by continually reminding them that they're on the verge of discovering what I feel about me and believing what I believe about me and then walking away. That's why I feel in my marriage like, I I got lucky, married up. And when my wife figures this out, she's going to leave. So I'm constantly leaving this, this, the insecurity and this, where are you going? What are you doing? Hey, what are you thinking? What are you thinking now? What are you thinking now? And I end up actually sabotaging my relationships, but you knew that. We so deeply, desperately long to be wanted. That's why some of us are hypersensitive. I'm a little nervous saying that right now because I don't know how you are feeling this morning. But anyone looks at us in any which way, we are immediately convinced they are swearing at us in their hearts. They think about me what I must think about me. And we are always just overreacting, ready to start. You want to start something? No. Actually, I was just thinking awesome shirt. What? You think I stole it? No, no, no. I really just thought you made a good decision on the shirt or you don't think I pick out my own clothes now. You want to go? And it's like, no, I... Calm down, man. But when we believe we're rejectable, we believe everyone's rejecting us, then we can become hypersensitive and even hyper-aggressive. That's why some of us can't figure out who we are. We are constantly tweaking and retweaking and re-altering and changing ourselves to try and make ourselves whatever we believe the other person wants us to be because who we really are by ourselves, that's not enough. And so I'm constantly trying to get Blake to turn his chair and accept me. That's why some of us are perpetual people pleasers. We can't say no to anybody. We can't stand up for ourselves and tell somebody they hurt us, they wounded us, how we really feel, because I've got to keep you pleased so you stay pleased and stick around. That's why for some of us, our friends can't figure out why we continue in those relationships that are abusive and people mistreat us and they trample over us, because listen, I would take the little moments of acceptance, even if it comes with a whole lot of pain. We so deeply long for acceptance. And when we begin to believe the lie that we are unwantable, 
that we are rejectable, it starts to send us towards a destination of desperation, a place of destructive patterns. And so you can imagine how beautiful it is when Paul walks out of the heavenly supply room and the first thing he tells us is you are chosen. God chose you. (laughs) You are wanted by God. That's huge for the human soul if you would dare to believe it. Now, it's interesting. Uh, When the Ephesians would have heard the word chose or chosen, they would have understood it exactly the way we understand the word chosen. Really not that complicated. Um, and, and by the word chose, we mean to freely and deliberately pick out or select something. Freely, deliberately pick out and select something. And what Paul leads with when he starts to unravel our spiritual blessings is this truth that God deliberately and freely chose you. And so for the rest of our time, we want to spend some time just reveling and unpacking that glorious truth. Chose. Uh, we can often complicate it. Uh, my wife and I, um, last Monday, went to our kids' school uh, to spend lunchtime with them. And uh, during my daughter's recess portion, a soccer game broke out. And apparently I looked like the sole responsible adult. So these kids are like, help us pick teams. Help us pick teams. I'm like, easy enough. You're a captain. You're a captain. You guys choose teams. So they started in on this process. Um, I want you. Okay, okay, I want her. Hmm, I want him. I want her. I want him. I want her. Until eventually, what ended up happening was boys versus girls. I'm like, we could have figured this out really, really quickly. But you know what became apparent very quickly is that fourth graders have no problem understanding the concept of choosing. And what Paul leads with in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 is, hey, guess what? God is the captain of the universe. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there was a moment when he said, I want you. And I want you. And I want you. I want condo. I choose condo. That's a Flooring truth, but that's the one Paul wants the church to become increasingly convinced of that God chooses us freely and deliberately. God was under no duress, He was under no obligation, it was no accident. He chose us on purpose. You know you enough 
to be boggled by that a little bit. He chose us. That is the truest truth about you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God wanted you. Which means you have an endless supply of wantedness for your soul. Which means you will never live a single day where it can be said about you, you are unwanted. Never, according to what Paul is telling us. You may not see it, you may not believe it quite yet, but spoiler alert, on your soul is a tattoo that says, chosen by God. That's what's true about you. That's a glorious reality for souls that are so thirsty for acceptance. Forget social experiment. For many of us, we have lived with a lie and we bear the wounds of unwantedness. And Paul says, here's the truest truth. You're wanted by God. Doesn't matter how undesirable you feel. The truth is you were wanted. It doesn't matter what your parents said about you or whether or not they stuck around. The truest truth about you is not what they did or what they said. It's that you are wanted by God. Doesn't matter what dude broke up with you. You're wanted. It doesn't matter what employer overlooked you for that promotion. The truth is, you are wanted. The truest truth about you is you are more wanted than you will ever need to be. It's enough want for the neediest of souls to be fully wanted. That will change you. That truth will heal wounded places of rejection. To be able to say, in the midst of painful moments, sticks and stones may break my bones, but God will always want me. That will do something for you. Watch out, I mean, joy might break through the clouds of darkness that has been your disposition, maybe even for decades if you dare believe the truth that God wanted you on purpose. Tell the person next to you, I'm so wanted. Tell the person, I mean, just make it awkward. Tell the person, I'm so wanted. You can believe it later. And um, you can thank me later for some of you. And kids, that's how I met your mother. So anyway. (laughs) But anyway, listen. So Paul, (laughs) um, I need to come to church. But Paul, is he's not just content to let us know um, 
that we've been chosen. He wants us to be as floored by this truth as he is floored by the truth. So he starts to unpack it. And he starts to describe not just that we're wanted, but just how wanted by God we are. And one of the first things he says is, um, God wanted you so much that he pre-chose you. God pre-chose us. I mean, it's one thing to choose. It's another thing to pre-choose. And that's what Paul is saying about us. When I really want something, I pre-order it. Before it's even released. <laughs> and there's a sense in which Paul is saying that about us. Look at verse 4 again. What does it say? For he chose us in him. When? Before the creation. To be holy and blameless. Before the creation of the world. To be holy and blameless in his sight. When the Ephesians heard the word before, uh, they would have understood it exactly the way we understand the word before. Again, this is not complicated. We have complicated this with all kinds of theology that does all kinds of crazy stuff, but it's really not that complicated. Paul is saying prior to God speaking the first word of creation, prior to God striking the first note of creation, before God brought out all his surveying equipment to scope out the boundaries of the universe, before that, God decided to want you. Before he set the world on its foundation. Paul is saying he wanted us. He had already chosen us. You are so wanted. Well, how wanted are you? You're so wanted that you were wanted before you're even here to be wanted. That's quite wanted. Paul is describing something that is so hard for us in many ways to fathom even though we understand the words he's using. That God who is outside of time wanted you before he even invented time to put you in it. That means when you got here, by the way, you had already done been wanted for quite a while, actually. I don't know how long because there was no time to measure eternity by. This is awesome. You may not have known it. Uh, people in your world and in your life may have treated you otherwise. They have, may have spoken over you otherwise. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you were born, in a sense, into wantedness. You may now just be catching up with it. But Paul says, no, it happened before. The foundation of the world. God pre-chose us. You were pre-wanted. Now, why would Paul want us to know of our pre-wantedness as though being wanted isn't enough? This is so powerful. You know, it's kind of like a professor showing up to his class. His class starts in the fall. 
walks into the class on the first day and tells his students, hey, so um, two years ago, I decided uh, that my four class of 2015 would all get A's. So, congratulations, let's begin. Uh, the studious people in the class, like my wife, would put her hand up and be like, um, but we haven't even done anything yet. I know, right? This is Paul's I know, right? <laughs> this is so awesome because God wanted you before you did anything remotely wantable. Before you had the opportunity to turn in any kind of performance paper, God had already decided that he wanted you. That is an unbelievable thought. For some of us, um, if we are honest, this will be a place where I think we struggle um, quite a bit. Because there's something in us that wants to know that, ah, but I did something, but there was something I did enough of to warrant being wanted. And Paul says, no, you weren't even here to do anything. Before you had done anything. So it obviously has nothing to do with you performing sufficiently. It has nothing to do with you being enough. It has nothing to do with you doing enough. It has nothing to do with you behaving. It has nothing to do with you being incredibly skillful. It's hard to be skillful when you're not here. And this is a glorious truth because that means that when you are chosen, despite anything you do, suggests that even when you're a hot mess and you make another mess, God chooses you no less. That's how wanted Paul wants us to believe we are. Wanted beyond anything that we could do or not do. God's choice was made long ago. It couldn't possibly have had anything to do with anything we did. That may not mean much to you. Unless, of course, like me, you know you have messed up so much and you continue to mess up. It may not mean much to you unless you know you have given God more than sufficient reason for him to take back the wantedness and maybe even agree with things you've believed about yourself. But Paul says it had nothing to do with what you did. And so if you couldn't do anything to make him want you, you can't do anything to make him keep on wanting you and you can't do anything to make him unwant you. You are stuck with wantedness. And when you know you're a hot mess, that truth is glorious. Who else in your world can you say that about? 
He's the only one. Regardless of what you ever do, you are wanted. That will change us if we believe it. And in fact, it will stop the way we run to people, looking for people to accept us in this unconditional, regardless of who we are kind of way. There's only one who can, and he has pre-wanted us. You can't shake it. No matter where we go, we're close to the Father's heart because we are the sons. We are the daughters of a God who pre-chose us. People-pleasing can stop because I'm not so desperately depending on them to want me in light of a God who wants me despite how pleasing or unpleasing I might be. By the way, that's going to be hard for some of you. I mean, your disclaimers in your mind. But hang on, we'll keep going, and maybe some of those might be settled a little bit. Paul goes on. Okay, so he wanted me despite me, but for what? God wanted me what for? Look again at verse 4. It says, For he, God, chose us in him, Jesus, before the creation of the world to be holy and to be blameless in his sight. He chose us to be holy and blameless. Um, The idea of holy, holiness, is the idea of being set apart. And that's how Paul means it here, that God chose us to live in a way that is set apart from the typical patterns and the typical practices of the world around us. What Paul is saying is God chose us to live lives of complete obedience to him. And this is so significant for the church to get, especially the church in this century. If you believe in a sovereignly gracious God, like I do, it can be tempting to say, well, if he chooses me unconditionally and he wants me unconditionally, it must mean he doesn't care about my condition. And Paul says, whoa. But you said it doesn't matter what we do. No, no, no. We're not saying it doesn't matter what you do. We're saying no matter what you do, you won't get him to change his mind about you. Paul says it's the complete opposite. God chose us unconditionally so that he could spiritually renovate our condition. God chose us to change us is what Paul is. Suggesting, And those of us who are parents, we understand that. I love my kids unconditionally, I think. Um, but because I love them, I want them to live in the best possible condition. And that's what Paul is saying. And guess what? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, get, guess what the best conceivable condition for you to live in is? Holiness and blamelessness. 
The best condition for you to possibly live in is a condition of complete obedience to God. So when God chose us, he chose us for the ultimate condition, life fully, fully alive, which means life lived in obedience to God himself. It's fascinating when I read the words holy and blameless, I often hear those as restriction words. I think of those the way I thought about my parents growing up, like they are secretly paid in candy and they're millionaires and they hide their stash around the house somewhere. They're holding out the best stuff on us. And we read it that way, holy and blameless. There goes God again, holding out on us. God, you are holding out the weed, and God, you're holding out the premarital sex, and and you are holding out the drunkenness and the hardcore partying. God, and he's saying, no, 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 no. If I ever say not to do something, it is only because I know the best condition for your soul is to do what I designed it to do, which is to live in holiness and blamelessness. And we know this, by the way. Come on, we can start testifying about the number of times we've been like, Woo! I found a stash that God's been hiding out on me. And then you indulged yourself and you woke up the next morning. I kind of hate myself right now. My head hurts. I'm filled with regret. How could you let me party that hard? And Paul understands this. The condition our souls thrive in is the condition of obedience, this place of holiness, this place of blamelessness. Before God created the world, he didn't just decide he wanted us for him. He decided he wanted us to be like him. And so he called us, he chose us for holiness and blamelessness to change us Uh, let me say this before we move on here um how we live matters immensely to god in fact one of the ways you can tell that you have been chosen is you can tell That you have been changing. It's one of the evidences. Paul is saying God chose you to change you. Therefore, I cannot say God chose me. Praise the Lord. Yes. But changing and becoming more obedient. mm, No to that. Paul would say "Ah, they are spiritually Siamese twins. Where one goes, the other goes. Because the God who chose you chose you to change you. Nothing you ever do will ever make you unchosen, but you cannot be chosen and remain unchanged. Paul says, no, you're going to start to look like your father. You're going to start to live in obedience. You're going to start to live in uh, these places of holiness. And so if I find that, man, there's no changing going on. I'm no patient now than I was three years ago. I'm no bitter towards people than I was 17 months ago or whatever. I'm still addicted to the same 
substances. I'm still living in the same patterns of lust. Paul would say, um, no, he chose you so that you would thrive in a condition better than that to change you. And if you're not seeing evidence of holiness and blamelessness, Paul would say, hmm, you can't have one without the other. Are you enjoying the blessing of not just being chosen, but living in the condition of chosenness, which is obedience increasing? I love that. I can't do anything to make him unwant me. So my behavior is not getting God to decide whether he wants me or not. But because he wants me, he changes me. Is that evidenced in your life? I trust that as we continue to lean into these truths, they will change the decisions and the directions of our lives. Are you becoming more like your father? But Paul gives another reason God chose us. Look at verse 5. It says, he, God, predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Um, uh, by the way, this idea of predestined is an idea that we, we understand pretty well, especially if we use GPS, especially if we use GPS correctly. Because when I want to go somewhere, I'll punch in the coordinates of my destination before I leave to go to that particular place, predestined. And uh, what Paul is saying is, hey, God punched in the coordinates of his beautiful destination for those he chose. And this destination, he says, is this place called adoption. Because here's what Paul is saying. God didn't just choose us so we would be like him in our obedience. God chose us so we would be with him in this adoption. Uh, Now, when they heard the word adoption, they would have thought of it in large regard the way we would think of the word adoption. In that cultural context, a man could find a kid who was not his biologically, and he could go through a legal process of making him a part of his family, in which case he would give him the family name. Um, He would give him a permanent spot around the family table. He would invite him to be a part of his home. He would include him in his will. And now this kid got equal share in the family inheritance by virtue of his adoption. And that's the picture Paul is using. That before the foundations of the earth, God looked at us and he said, I want you. You, to be a part of my forever family. I want you to be with me. And so as I process the options in my wisdom, I arrived at this place where if I make you a legal part of my family, we get to be together forever and ever and ever. And so he adopts us into his family. And the rest, as they say, is history. 
his story of uh, redemption, his story of how he saw us in the orphanage of sin, unwanted and rejected and unnamed, his story of how he turned the world upside down to come and get us, his story of the way he said, "Ah, come hell or come high water, daddy is coming to get you, his story of how our older brother, Our Savior, Jesus Christ, did all the tedious paperwork of keeping every iota of the law to make sure that this transaction was legit. His story of how you know adoption is expensive. Jesus was willing to pay the steep price of his blood, his death, in order to apprehend us. His story of that moment of salvation when God shows up at the orphanage to let us know you have always been wanted daddy has been on his way it's time to go home adoption and now we permanently have a place in his family now we get to sit around his table forever and ever and ever and we're co-heirs with his son jesus christ meaning We have equal share in the family inheritance. What's Jesus's is ours by virtue of the fact that he pre-wanted us to be part of his family. And he adopted us into his home. And what Paul is saying is God chose to keep us. Not just to change us, but he chose us to keep us. You've always been Wanted. I dare you to believe that for a day, that you have a permanent place in the house and in the family of God. I dare you to let your feelings catch up with that truth just for a moment, to look at yourself through the truth of Ephesians from God's vantage point and see if lies don't start to leave. See if the lie of unwantedness doesn't start to die a slow death on the floor of these beautiful truths, particularly that you are wanted. God has made you a part of his family. And then the last thing uh, Paul says is, listen, God chose you um, because he wanted to. Because I think the final question, which I think is the most significant question, is, okay, why? Why would God choose me? And this has been a source of debate, and that's we've chosen to take this spiritual blessing and make it a point of controversy. I refuse to do that anymore. Why would God choose us? And Paul says, um, because... He wanted to. It's very fascinating. When um, my daughter was younger, uh, one of the things I liked so much about her was her refreshing honesty. We would tell her, don't do something. Don't touch something. Don't, you know, whatever. Go somewhere. And she would just do it. And so eventually we would pull her in and we'd have this straight up conversation with her. We'd say, did you understand what we asked you not to do? Yep. Did you understand when we said don't touch that? Yep. And then we would ask her, so why did you do it? And she would look us in the eye and say straight-faced, because I wanted to. (laughs) That was it! I'm standing there like I have no idea how to respond to that. Look at my wife like, this girl of yours. (laughs) 
conference, conference, conference. And so we would huddle in a corner like, I don't know what to do. I'm so refreshed by your honesty, but I don't remember this honesty trump disobedience. I don't remember what it said in the manual. Can I go yet? Hey, just because you figured out the whole being a kid thing doesn't mean we figured out being the parent thing. Give us a minute. what What should we do here? No idea. That's a conversation ender because I wanted to. I'm like, that's, that is the bottom line. There's no place you can go beyond that. And Paul is saying whenever a child of God becomes aware of the fact that they've been pre-chosen, pre-wanted by God, and they're moved to ask the question, why would you choose us? God's response is, because I wanted to. Like, oh, uh, that settles that. Look at the way he says it. Verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Do you have any idea what in accordance with his pleasure and will means? It means because he wanted to. But not only because he wanted to, his pleasure, meaning he couldn't have been happier to choose you and include you in his forever family. That picture blows my mind. There was a day when God was like, I want condo. And then he was like, yes! I don't know how God expresses pleasure or happiness. However he does it is what he did when he called me by name. And when he chose you by name, it couldn't have made him happier to choose you. Because he wanted to want you. End of the story. We don't like that answer because I'd like to have something that I can point back to in me. And Paul shatters that. It was not about you. The cause of love, the cause of choice was in himself. That way, when you start to believe this and you find yourself incredibly overwhelmed, you can give nobody credit but God himself to the praise of his glorious grace. And that's how he ends this section. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. And so, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be healed. I pray that we would be set free by the truth that we are wanted by our God, who is now our Father. Heal us, Lord. Change us by this truth. Help us to live lives fully and to be fully alive. Lord, you are amazing. You chose us, and we can give credit to no other place but to you. And so we say, be praised, our God, in Jesus' name. Amen.